Hey guys, how would you like to hear from a man who wrote songs that have been cut by artists from George Jones, the Oak Ridge Boys, and Patti Loveless, to the Hollywood Argyles, Elvis Presley, and Diana Ross? A man who wrote one song which alone got 27 major label artist cuts, and after tons of more hits, was inducted into the Nashville Songwriters Hall of Fame? and honored publicly in Country Music Hall of Fame's Poets and Prophets series. A man who earned so many song residuals that he was able to quit, financially secure, for 30 years until he was ready to write again. Okay, let me introduce you to my friend, Dallas Frazier. Hello, this is Judy Rodman. You're listening to All Things Vocal Podcast. This is the audio version of the blog you can find at judyrodman.com. Okay, today I have the honor of talking with Dallas Frazier. He's had quite a journey through this crazy business of ours. And you may, you know, if you're a longtime listener of music, know of some of the songs that are his, uh, his copyrights he's, as far as the things he's written that they include uh, Elvira, Alley Oop, There Goes My Everything, If My Heart Had Windows. Help me, Dallas. Beneath Still Waters. Beneath Still Waters is a huge yeah. one. All I have to offer you is All me. All I have to offer you is me. Yeah. yeah, so these are things I feel like I've grown up with and known all my life. But Dallas is also continuing to do music and create and be involved in the arts in different ways, and, and he's got some exciting stuff coming up. So I thought that you guys with All Things Vocal would be interested in how he has navigated this long career of his successfully. And uh, I, could, I think we could safely say you're really happy right now, huh? I am happy, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. welcome, Dallas, to All Things <clears throat> Vocal. Well, thank you. You know, Judy, I started in the business um, when I was 12 years old. Been living in uh, Bakersfield, California. Bakersfield, okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, there's several guys came out of that. Uh, yeah, came out of that area, and most of them were the uh, Dust Bowl people, the Grapes of Wrath people that moved there from Texas and Arkansas and Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, but anyway, that's where uh, we landed up when we went to California from Oklahoma, and I was raised in that area. But I, um, I've heard about this. Uh, talent contest that Ferlin Husky was uh, holding at a dance hall there called Rainbow Gardens. Mm-hmm. And I got my dad, talked him into taking me and all, and uh, and I won the contest that night, and Ferlin offered me a job. Oh, my he goodness. He said, I'd like for you to come and work with me if, if, you know, if it's okay, if your folks agree and all of that. And, uh, and they did. But anyway, I, uh, I started working with him, and that was my first... Uh, uh, you might say, professional experience. And about uh, two years later, when I was um, 14 years old, I signed with Capitol Records. Wow. Yeah. As, as an artist? As an artist. Wow, yeah. 14. I and, thought that Liam Rimes was the first one to do something like yeah. that. <laughs> wow. Well, uh, uh, I was 14 and I wrote my own material. Wow. And uh, most of it. So that that was kind of my debut for writing, was recording and, and doing my own material. And uh, I got very interested in writing even before I met Furlan, uh, when I was about 10 or 11 years old. I had a gift 
of alliteration, Judy. I didn't even know what the word was. I'd been in the business 10 years before I knew what the word meant for that. I I recall a song, Sharon has the original copy of it, called uh, Tongue-Tied Tenderfoot Dave. Because I'm I'm about 11 years old when I wrote this, and I I won't repeat all of it, but uh, I signed with Capital, and I, I wasn't with them long. It didn't happen for me at that time. And later on, when I moved to Tennessee in 63, I signed with Capitol Records again. Mm-hmm. But going back to that time in 1954, I was working on a show called Cliffy Stone's Hometown Jamboree that was in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And I worked on that show for four years, from 14 to 18 years working, old. Working, do, doing, what were you singing. doing on that show? Singing. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I was singing. Mm-hmm. It was a great experience. We had a fantastic band that was not in a box. The The music was just all kinds of music, Broadway stuff, uh, hard country, wow. uh, yeah. blues, gospel. It was, it, wow. was, it was such a good experience for me, and I'm, I'm thankful Much for that. Much more interesting than the, the stations that only, or TV yeah. that only play one time. Yeah, best way to say it, we were not in a box there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just kind of like when they used to have those talent shows, the old ones in the 50s or something, mm-hmm. had all kinds of entertainers. Yeah. You know, yeah. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that was, that was a great background for me, good foundation stuff. And I, I bet that added to the way you became an out-of-the-box writer, where you just weren't, weren't writing in one genre. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. When I was 16 years old, one of my favorite albums that I had was Jack Teagarden. And he's a famous trombonist, and, and he, uh-huh. he's out of New Orleans, you know, mm-hmm. and and, and uh, Memphis, and, and of course he was he was an old guy when I got on to him, but a fantastic uh, musician. But that's the kind of thing that I that I grew up with, you mm-hmm. know. And then that would be happening on my left, and over here on on my right, I'd be listening to Lefty Frizzell, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. You know what? Um, I did the same thing. My father was from Mississippi, my mother. So uh, I grew up with traditional country music, but we lived in so many different places, and I got exposed to everything from James Taylor and to classical to R and B, the great stuff in Memphis. And I think it's informed who we are as artists yeah. in our singing and our, our writing and playing. It's it's almost like you, yeah. you get bored when you're in one place too long. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I definitely, I can say I had a, a well-rounded education mm-hmm. in music. But, hey, I met my girl sitting over there on, on your couch, uh, Sharon. Watching over yeah, us, yeah. And well, she's watching over mm-hmm. She's watched over me. <laughs> oh, Lord. Sharon. She has watched over me. <laughs> I wouldn't be here without her. But anyway, we got married when we were 18 years old, Judy. Wow. Yeah. We just knew everything. You grew why, up together. Why, yeah. yeah. Why, why wait when you know everything? Yeah. You know, just go ahead and do it. <laughs> and you're exactly right. We grew up together. Now, she grew up faster than me, <laughs> you know, and we won't go into all of that. A sweet lady and, and uh, been a part of my career ever since we married. And I wrote Alley Oop. We were living in Los Angeles at the time, actually right downtown Hollywood, as Hollywood as you could get. Mm-hmm. And um, Dale Drive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wrote Alley Oop. I wrote it while I was working at a cotton gin near Bakersfield. <laughs> and uh, of course, I got the idea from the cartoon uh, strip. That's right. But, it's a cartoon strip. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I got the idea from, from the cartoon strip. Mm-hmm and wrote it while I was working at the Cotton Gin. Well, anyway, long story short, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't too long after I wrote it that uh, it was recorded in 60, 
and went to number one. And, uh, Who recorded uh, The Hollywood Argyles had the biggest record on it, wow. and there was a group that had a big chart record on it called the Dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. And then there was another group that got up uh, at probably 15 uh, in the Billboard uh, called Dante and the Dinosaurs. Dante and the Evergreens. Wow, what names. And, but it was just a monster record. But it faded pretty fast, too. You know, novelty things. Mm-hmm. Uh, you remember the the Purple People Eater oh, by yeah. Chef Woolley. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what a funny record. And you know what's funny? Everybody, even the kids, know that song. Yeah, yeah. Weird. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not the kind of song that's going to become a standard. Although it, <laughs> it's I not going to be a moon river, you know. It's just yeah, not going to be yeah. a moon river. Yeah. And uh, but anyway, I probably uh, won't play it with the pops orchestra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you're very limited uh, with Alley Oop. But getting back to the facts, uh, it it made a huge hit and uh, has been played fairly well down through the years. Mm-hmm. We're we're looking at what fifty eight years. <laughs> Ago, Ali Oop was number one fifty-eight <laughs> years ago, and it still uh, it still uh, makes good money. It, it was a very yeah. valuable copyright. Yeah, your royalty check is pretty mm-hmm. much. A, yeah, it 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 it's nice still yeah addition it, to the groceries. Yeah. yeah, it still makes money. I moved to Nashville in '63 um, because hmm. it was a really a good move for me. Again, Ferlin Husky comes into my business and my life uh, during that year. I, I went to see him at a show in Portland, Oregon, and I had left the business more or less. I'd just kind of gotten out of it. Uh, it. Well, nothing was happening for me in Portland, Oregon, let me put it that way. But Ferlin said, Dallas, what are you doing these days? And I said, well, not a whole lot. And he said, why don't you move to Nashville and write songs for me? <laughs> so here, you know, I said, yeah. You know, let's do it. So Sharon and I, we moved to Nashville in 63. We came here on a, on a train huh. and pulled in that old train station downtown yeah. Nashville. That beautiful old station. Oh, yeah. Union station. Yeah, and it was so different then. Nashville mm-hmm. was so... Oh, so, you've seen yeah. all the changes. Oh, oh yeah. my goodness. Yeah. Well, and, and yeah. the International Airport was a tiny little third world country oh. strip. No, yeah, no, yeah. No. I mean, I don't think a 747 could have landed yeah. there, honestly. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it just but, wasn't that long ago, does it seem? Uh, yeah. it, it's just flown by. Mm-hmm. Hey, we were 23 years old, <laughs> you know, and I'm 78 now, so is Sharon. I'm, I'm three months older than Sharon. Mm-hmm. But we moved here, and, and uh, eventually we moved in with Ferlin, lived with him for a while until we could get our own little place, and eventually bought a little house and this and that. And got settled in here, but I really went to work, Judy. When 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 I saw the opportunity, and I felt like you know, after I checked it out, I felt like, hey, I can do this. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I'm I'm gonna do mm-hmm. this. I can. Mm-hmm. And and it was just like I I tackled it. I was hungry. Mm-hmm. And you got to be hungry. Yeah, yeah, you got to be hungry. You can't hardly do anything without being hungry. But I, I was, and I wanted out of poverty, and we were in poverty at that time. Mm-hmm. I, uh, that, that's the right word for it. That's mm-hmm. not an exaggeration. I, I wanted a nice home. I wanted this. I wanted that. I wanted better food on the table, mm-hmm. and, and I literally was hungry. And eventually, um, I got hooked up with a fellow that really believed in me, and he was hungry as well as me, and... Uh, he started a little publishing company and, and uh, asked me if I wouldn't be a part of it before he even started it. 
And he went to Texas and borrowed, like, I think it was like $5,000 or something like that from a, from a, a backer mm-hmm. at that time uh, to, to get started. And there we went. He, he plugged the songs and I wrote them, mm-hmm. you know. And mm-hmm. I wrote day and night, mm-hmm. sometimes three or four days at a time. Just burning the candle at both ends, really. Mm-hmm. But I came to a place after a, a string of hits, good, Who successful songs. Who were some of the songs. artists back then that you wrote? Um, Charlie Leuven mm-hmm. had, a, had a number one with, uh, Will You Visit Me on Sundays? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Will You Visit Me on Sundays? One of my first really big records here. And, uh, and uh, Touching Home, Jerry Lee Lewis. And then I had uh, Elvis cut five of my songs. He and, did? Yeah, uh-huh. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. There Goes My Everything, and and he did the gospel version. He is my everything. And uh, Where Did They Go, Lord? And um, Baby, You're Wearing That Love Don't Look. And huh. True Love Travels on a Gravel Road. Yeah, Percy wow. Sledge cut that as wow. well. Mm. Oh, Percy, oh, what a soul singer, yeah. you know. And, and Connie, Connie, I think Connie says that she's cut 71 of my songs. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. She kind of liked you. <laughs> yeah, and we, we became good friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we met when we were about 24, Smith, 25 right. years old. Connie Smith, mm-hmm. yeah. Right. She did a tribute album of my songs, which mm-hmm. I, I was so <laughs> honored by that. And George Jones did, too. He did wow. a tribute album honoring me, you know. Wow, and, uh, that's incredible. Uh, I had a lot of George Jones cuts. And, and Charlie Pride had a, a four or five uh, number one songs by him. Oh, my uh, gosh. <laughs> and uh, different ones. Brenda Lee, uh, mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. so so many different ones. Charlie Rich cut some of my stuff. And Sounds like and, just about everybody that was cutting back then yeah, or yeah. wanting a Dallas Frazier song. Yeah. And you know what? Um, a, a strange thing happened to me, Judy. I'm a Christian believer, and I, I went to the bottom with uh, alcoholism. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me start there. And uh, I just couldn't go on so much longer. So many people yeah. that, that yeah. are so yeah. immersed in their work yeah. that, 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 that it just, catches them. Yeah. It just happens, mm-hmm. and uh, not taken up for it. <laughs> I'm just saying it happened. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I finally, I got, I got sober at the tail end of 76, and uh, I purposely quit the business because I wanted to get straight. I wanted, I, I couldn't continue with my old friends and things like that because I, I didn't want to get back in that stuff. Mm-hmm. So what happened to me is it is it is kind of strange, but a, a good sabbatical year or two yeah. led to 30, <laughs> 30 years. No, you were I, out of the business. Yeah, uh, yeah. not completely, but uh, not enough to say I was in it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I I just kind of fool with it every once in a while, and I think, no, that's that's like pulling teeth. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do that, you mm-hmm. know. But anyway, long story short, after after about thirty years of that, and I went into Christian ministry, Bible school, and this and that, mm-hmm. and uh, then I felt. I was just a fish out of water. My wife says that, that that's exactly what I was. I was a fish out of water. And what had happened to me, uh, I threw the baby out with the bathwater. 
you know i just uh, yep. i'm i'm a very uh, impulsive person uh i you know i'll i'll go to the extreme i i go way left or way right mm-hmm. you know it's hardly ever down the middle <laughs> of the road <laughs> yeah. but, the creative people do that yeah, yeah yeah and and i just quit and got away from it and and uh, i was still making good money you know all all during those years because of my old songs they right. did well right. And uh, and I had saved. I was I was kind of careful with what what I did with my finances. But I got the feeling that back probably in about two thousand and six, I'm thinking that I had to write again. Yeah, I you had, weren't done yet. I there was something swimming around <laughs> down in there, you know, and it wanted to be. And you know what's funny? You were safe with it then. Yeah, you were safe with it. You know, you're I, right. I, I I ran into the same sort of thing at one point having lost record deal and lost other kinds of deals and, and just finding myself with nothing career wise I had to figure out who I was without the music and I I didn't know because I'd been doing music you know professionally I mean since mm-hmm. I was 17 years old and had done music all my life since I was you know that I, I can't even remember as a child yeah. but at some point it's so important I think this is a big part of your story we have to find out who we are without the music. Then we can go back to it, if we're pulled into that, safely, because it no longer completely defines who we are. Yeah. You, know? you know what, That that's profound. You know, I've never heard it put like that. It resonates uh, with you? Yes, yes it does. Because you you can be so immersed in music or maybe something else, uh, you start defining your life maybe around that that gift mm-hmm. and i uh i had to get away from music to know that it was okay it was okay for me it wasn't uh, everything wasn't whirly like i said i i threw the the baby out with the bathwater and uh i i overreacted uh about my my christianity i had to get rid of everything that i thought that might interfere with my christianity you know it was that uh, all, all to the left or all to the right and after after being away that long just like you said that you you find out you, you know sometimes you back off a ways and look at what you're doing and you can see it better yeah you know yeah. but anyway that happened with me and i started writing again i just wrote a song here uh, within the last right. month, yeah, Yay. yeah, and uh, now that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. I went into a little studio and put it down, and uh-huh. and uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna be doing some things. Uh, I can do it better than I did, and I, you know that that I is. Totally understand. Oh, that, yeah. I know you do. I know you do because I won't take the chances I took at one time. And sometimes taking chances are good. You know, when mm-hmm. you're young, you're green. You you'll knock on the president's door. Mm-hmm. You know, or right but, alley you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just take a chance whether anybody likes it or not. Mm-hmm. And now I, I've lost some of that. But you know, in a way, it's good because now I want to write poetry. I want to write. I want to write the. For, for the masters. Yeah, yeah. Know, so I to totally speak. get it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my, our levels have come up through the years, haven't yeah. they? And yeah. And you know what? I want people that are listening to this to know. You know, there, there's different ways that we define success with our work. And sometimes it, it needs to be commercial. We want to make a living. We want to get out of poverty. We want to, and both of us have been there, you know, yeah. where I wasn't sure at one point that I wouldn't end up really as a bag lady. You know, I was wondering what kind of cardboard box I'd get. You know, and so 
there is that factor. You have to make a living. And there's a there's that time when we're really, really hungry to be validated in the major market, and it's mm-hmm. always wonderful. Don't let anybody sell you short on that. It's wonderful to do that. But there's another way to be successful musically and in, in, in the arts of any kind, and that is when you know inside yourself that you've created something that means something. And yeah. you are... Yeah. You've sort of set your bar high and you feel like you went there. And, you know, I think that that kind of success is what maybe we're both going for right now. Yeah. And and then sometimes those songs do make it into the commercial marketplace. But the bottom line is that's not the number one goal. We're not letting that dumb us down or, or keep us from writing something that we feel called to write. Yeah. And then we're just like kids again. Yeah. It's like the whole mm-hmm. world opens up. Well, okay. There's no there's no cage here. There are no limits. <laughs> you know. And then yeah. the older I get, the, the more unlimited I feel, except for maybe with my knees. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, I'm definitely reaching mm-hmm. and I'm being stretched more than ever. And it's a good reach and it's a good stretch. I can't wait to hear the results. Mm. Thank you very much. Well, you've also got some other people very interested in what you've been doing with your life. You've got this documentary that's going to yes, be about uh, your life. Can you tell us about that? A good friend of mine, Brian Oxley, is uh, producing a documentary on me. It's, it's going to be a major work. We've already been working on it for some time now. And... Uh, it hadn't all been pulled together yet, like who's going to release it and mm-hmm. this and that. Mm-hmm. But, what, uh, but it What has, network it's going to yeah. actually be on. <laughs> yeah, there, there's, some, there's some, still some loose ends as far as the business part of it is mm-hmm. concerned. Mm-hmm. But it's coming along real good. I'm real satisfied with it and uh, look to have it finished uh, at least this by this year. Awesome. We started last year and uh, should be finished maybe by the end of summer. Awesome. Yeah. Well, you guys, I will be definitely linking to that when I uh, find out where it's going to be so you can see that. Uh, Dallas, what would you say to the person who's wondering how to successfully navigate life in the music business? Well, there is so much to say about that, but I'll, I'll be uh, <laughs> succinct. Um, be careful about signing with huge people. Amen. Beware of Exxon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm saying that figuratively yeah, sure. because you can just wind up being on a shelf. There's great benefits from being with with a huge company. But then again, you're not very important either. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. Now, when I started with Ray, he was hungry, Ray Baker, and I was too, and it worked. Because yeah. he got out and worked yeah. like he hustled those streets down in Nashville. Yeah. Like his dinner table depended on it, you yeah. know. Yeah. And that's just one little thing. There's so many things. I would say pursue pursue your heart. You know, you've got to be commercial. You just mentioned that. You, you cannot forget the market mm-hmm. and just be some weirdo that's only going to do your personal dreams. Nobody understands how you write. and Well, mm-hmm. you're not going to change. Well, you know, you're not going to... You're not going to do anything. It's narcissism you know, you, of the yeah. Uh, you have to take writer. your talent and funnel it into the market, mm-hmm. and and if you don't, you won't make any money. You won't be successful. Shouldn't whine uh, 
<laughs> but but there's always room, you know, if you work hard and and work for the market, there'll be some time that you can write for yourself, yeah, yeah, you know, and yeah. that's the bonus. That's yeah. the bonus. You know, yeah. I, I remember Dave Loggins, because I, I did a lot of work with him back, back in the day when he was at MCA writing. And, and for people that don't know Dave Loggins and who he is as a writer, just do a little Google search and you'll see. Like Dallas, he's another legendary writer. But he wrote this little song, and this was after he had tons of hits like you're talking about. Mm-hmm. He wrote this song that was just an art song, really. He never he didn't write it to be commercial. He just wrote it from his heart just to have fun writing it. And it was called She Is His Only Need. She Is She His Is only His Need, Only yeah. Need and became Winona's first big number one. In fact, it was the first yeah. one she cut as a single artist without the, being the Judds. And Dave was uh, as surprised as anybody. So I yeah. think you, what you hit on is real important. Write for the market, mm-hmm. but also if something calls you to do it, do write from your heart as well. Sure, yeah. And that you sometimes it's surprising how that yeah. goes on and becomes a market success. Yeah. yeah. And you know, w- one more thing I want to mm-hmm. mention to Judy about getting ahead in this business. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to rub shoulders with the business. You cannot be a recluse. Yeah. Uh, you you, yes. you have to get out. You don't have to live downtown or live in the nightclubs and all. But you have to get out and... Uh, Find out what's going on. Um, showcase your stuff someplace. Uh, d- do something. Mm-hmm. You know. Connect with people. Yeah, connect. I've, I've said this for a long time now, but I do truly believe that it takes a village to be an artist. And meaning an artist or a songwriter or anything in the arts, uh, I think it takes a village to be a human being. And your happiness and your fulfillment, no matter where you end up with the commercial success, has a lot to do with who is in your village. So, you know, mm-hmm. you got you know a lot of people, but you've got you you've got to find a core of people, wouldn't you say, that mm-hmm. are close that, that you really do trust that are in your village and that yeah. work like, you know, that you work with yeah. like uh, you did with Ray Baker and all that. So you you've got to find your own network both mm-hmm. at, in concentric circles, the small mm-hmm. one that is a trustable place that you are accountable, you know, and, yeah. and they, you have a mutual accountability and then, and, and also can keep you safe, uh, when it comes to substance abuse and, uh, bad relationships and things like that. You know, you and yeah. I are lucky enough to have a wife and a husband mm-hmm. who are part of our inner circle, that, yeah. that trustable circle, that the tr- most trusted part. But then you extend that circle. And like you say, you, you've got to get to know some other people in the village and mm-hmm. figure out who to kind of avoid or who to only trust so far. Yeah. But you can't be a recluse uh, and, no, and do no. this. And a no. lot of really creative people tend to want to be that way. Yeah, it, I'm, I'm not saying it never works because we don't want to say never. Right. Right. But, but for the most part, it, w- it will not work, yeah. you know, by just holding up and, and doing your own little thing, you know, and... Uh, I've known a few people like that, and it didn't happen for them. And even when it does, sometimes it's not a very happy life. You know, it's nice to be able to share our joys and and sorrows and our ups and downs with a trusted circle. Yeah. Yeah. I would say it's absolutely necessary to have a few really good friends. Yeah. 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 Well, I am so honored that you and I have become friends, and I want to give a shout-out to Jenny Foley. 
uh, who is the reason I know you personally. You know, she yeah. she had these little get-togethers that she does. She's she's helped a lot of, of, of artists and songwriters through the years just out of the sheer joy and love of, of us. Thank God for Jenny. But uh, I'm so glad to know you, Dallas, and to know your story and just to watch you. You're still flying. You're not done. Hey, I am flying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, well, thank you. And and uh, this this was really good. I, I enjoyed doing this with That's you. Awesome. And uh, uh, you're just you're full of life. I, I like you. And uh, but anyway, I'm I was glad to do this, and 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 I hope it helps uh, uh, some of the I viewers out there. Yeah. You know, you got it. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dallas. Dallas Frazier, and you can find him at what's your website? Dallas Frazier Music. D- DallasFrazierMusic.com. How do you spell Frazier? F-R-A-Z-I-E-R. All right. Well, love you, Dallas. Love you, Sharon. Love you guys in the village. And we'll talk to you next time for All Things Vocal, the podcast for singers, speakers, vocal coaches, and studio producers. <laughs>